Hey, um, I'm going to challenge you today with our message, and uh, here, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about God's will, and if God's will is a blueprint. So here's what a lot of people say. God's will is a blueprint for you to follow. That's fine. You can believe that. I'm going to challenge that today a little bit today. But to do that, you've got to let me, like, start a conversation that, that maybe you've not had before. I mean, maybe you haven't thought about this before, and so I'm going to try to get done in the next, you know, few moments, a conversation that really we should be talking about for hours, all right, so we're going to go on the fast track. You're going to hang with me. And we're going to talk about God's will. And by the end of it, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. By the end of this day today, some of you are going to get challenged. You are, and that's okay. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when you come to God's house, you open up God's word, and God challenges us. So that's going to happen for some of you. Some of you are going to leave, and you're going to have clarity. You're going to have clarity. You've been stuck, and you're going to have clarity. And that's going to be a really, really good thing. All of us are going to work ourselves through a few key concepts. We're going to be challenged, get clarity, and work through some concepts that specifically speak to the heart of God. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but God wants to be known. And he wants you to know his will. He's not hiding himself from you. The whole reason he gave us the person of Jesus in the world was so that we could know the heart of the Father. So when people saw Jesus, heard Jesus, looked at Jesus, they were literally looking at God. And then he also left us the gift of his word so that we could know him, know his character, know his heart, know what he thinks about us, what he thinks about the world, what he wants us to do. So this idea of God's will, it's a big deal. Some of you today, you're literally asking, God, what do you want me to do about that girlfriend, that boyfriend? Are they the one? God, what do you want me to do about the job? Do I take it? Do we move? So, some of us have some serious decisions to make in front of us, and God's will, knowing it, is a big part of that process. So before we kind of jump hardcore into God's will, I want us to talk for a moment about how we talk about God, how we talk about God. And there are two words I want you to consider, all right? So on the screen, how we talk about God, the first word I want you to consider is the word comprehend. So I have young kids, and I used to teach high school, and there were times I was talking that I knew they were listening. I'm popping here. Let me just do this for a second. I knew that they were listening, but I didn't know if they were always comprehending what I was saying. So as a dad, as a teacher, I would slow down, use smaller words, ask clarifying questions to see if they were getting the point. Now, when we talk about God, here, here's the good news. When we talk about him, we can comprehend what we're talking about. Our words matter. We can understand. When we say that God is all-powerful, we can comprehend that concept so that we understand that God has power to meet any challenge, any need. We say that God is always present. We can comprehend that and know then that we are never alone. What we say about God, we can comprehend it, and that's powerful because it helps us to know him. Here's the other word, though. It's the word apprehend. When we talk about God, we can comprehend him, but the word apprehend gives us the image of the law enforcement who are chasing the criminal. They finally get the criminal, and now the criminal is in custody. They have apprehended the criminal. Now, while we can comprehend God, we can never fully apprehend everything there is to know about him. His ways are higher than our ways. So even when we say, for instance, that God is all-powerful, we don't always know what that looks like in every situation. We can't understand it fully all the way out. So there's always a gap between what we know and can trust, what we know about God we can trust, 
and what the full reality is. There's always a gap. So when I talk with you about God, the best I can do is explain parts of Him. And this bleeds over into our subject today because when we talk about God's will, we can understand a lot of it, but there are parts of it that's beyond our grasp. So that's the first thing I want you to know. Here's the other thing I want you to know about how we talk about God. We use metaphors to talk about God. Now, English for just 30 seconds here, English class, all right? So a metaphor is when we compare two dissimilar things, but there's something that we're drawing a comparison to because there's a commonality between them, and the commonality between them allows us to shed light from the known thing to the lesser known thing. It reveals. That's what a metaphor does for us. So let me give you two big metaphors for God. Now, I'm going to challenge you here for just a second, so make sure you don't put in my mouth what I didn't say, all right? So we use the metaphor of God the Father. God is the Father, but let's be clear. He's not your biological father. He's not the biological father of the earth. We use the phrase God the Father because God chose to reveal himself that way primarily as a father-like figure in the world. So God is the Father, yes, 100%, but not in the literal sense of the word Father as we use it. God's the Father. But that's a metaphor we use. It reveals to us one piece of his characteristic, his quality. It's dependable, it's real, but it's not complete. God's also a judge. He's the king. He's the creator. All these things begin to give us a more round, full picture of God. Now, here's another metaphor we use. Let me just stretch a little bit. Jesus is the son of God, without a doubt. But he's not the literal son of God. Because the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus always existed with the Father. He is fully God. He's not the Son. Now, functionally, we have a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. But that's a metaphor we use to understand the character and nature of Jesus. That's not heresy, by the way. That's just good biblical theology. Now, there's a metaphor we use when we talk about the will of God. It's the metaphor of a blueprint. Now, you know what blueprints are. You have a design you lay it out, what you want to have built, and the blueprint makes sure that we stay on track, that when we're done, the doors actually open and close because they're built on square, that the plumbing doesn't leak, that the rooms are where they're supposed to be, that the roof actually covers the structure and it doesn't collapse. Blueprints are powerful things. And sometimes when we think about God's will, we think about God's will being a blueprint for our life. And so here's what we think. If I can just figure out the blueprint, I can follow the blueprint, and then I get to the place I want to be with little pain, little difficulty, little challenge because I've just followed the blueprint. And now when I made the choice to follow the blueprint and I follow the blueprint, I got where I want it to be and everything's largely fine. Here's what I want to challenge with you today. I think that the idea of God's will being a blueprint is not the best metaphor for us to use. It's not the best thing to have in mind when you think about God's will. It's helpful. It communicates something that's true, but it's not complete. I actually think there's a better metaphor because here's the deal. Blueprints aren't adjustable on the fly. You don't adjust blueprints. In fact, if you've ever built a house and you wanted to make a change to your blueprint, they call that a change order. Architects love those. Builders love those because it costs you a lot more money to start changing blueprints on the fly. They love change orders. We have to do a change order on that. That'd be $50,000, right? Um, they love change. But in life, change orders, that, that's a challenge. 
So is it a blueprint we discover and just follow, or, or is it a game plan? See, for many of us, the idea of blueprints being adjustable, that's the metaphor we have for God's will for our life. But I'm suggesting to you that the better metaphor is the idea of a game plan. Now, I, I'm not a sports dude. I don't do fantasy football and all that, so I had to research this out. And if I get it wrong, sue me. All right, here we go. But the idea is that before the play in football, they huddle and they talk about what they plan to do. They're all in agreement. Now, the other team doesn't get to hear it, right? So they're all in the huddle, and the quarterback or whoever's calling the play, they're all on the line of scrimmage now. I had to look at scrimmage. They're all on the line of scrimmage. And he starts calling the play again, and they're all going to make the play that they intend to play. But then the moment the ball is snapped, real life is occurring. Now it's less of a here's exactly what we're going to do. It's more of a here's what we plan to do. Here's what we intend to do. But now we've got to interact with the other players. Life's happening. Changes are occurring. I meant to throw it to that receiver, but he's too well covered. So a good quarterback has a game plan, not a blueprint, and makes adjustments on the fly because you don't throw the ball, no matter if that's the called play, to the overly guarded receiver. See, my bias is that God is sovereign over all. He really is in control. And that creates an umbrella under which we do life. God is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, but we're not. So we operate under the umbrella, the comfort, the safety of what God wants for us. But underneath that, there's a lot of decisions we have to make that God hasn't fully revealed exactly what you're supposed to do. And the more weighty the decision, the more we want the details. Now, this has been a pastor, my opinion here. Here's our next slide. The reason the details of God's will sometimes are hard to find is because they don't exist the way we would like them to exist is what I mean. So let me just throw out an idea to you. When you got dressed today, did God have a will and a plan for which shirt you should wear? Did, did you seek his will out? Did you follow his will in the shirt? Now, some of you, you clearly didn't. I can tell. I'm not a fashion expert. <laughs> But, but, but I can tell. But they, see, that's silly because that's not a weighty matter, is it? But whether or not to take that job and move, that's much more weighty. And we're not willing to roll the dice in the same way of whether or not we should have worn this shirt or that shirt. We don't even apply the same rules in the same way to those two types of decisions. This is getting to the tension I feel as a pastor, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, when I want us to think deeply about God's will and whether or not it's a blueprint. It reminds me of the guy that was going through a particularly hard time trying to make some decisions, so he thought he'd go to God's word. He was stuck. He didn't have much biblical knowledge or, or, or understanding, so he just opened the pages of God's word, closed his eyes, put his finger there, and said, whatever it is, that's what I'm going to do. And he read the verse, and it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. He's like, that can't be right. Turns the page. Right? Go now and do likewise. No, 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 no that's, not, that's not good. What you do, do quickly. All right, so clearly doesn't work for him. But can we be honest? That's a little silly, isn't it? But, but don't we kind of do that? And especially if we know the decision is very weighty, like it really, it, there are implications. So there are some downsides to demanding 
the concept of a blueprint from God in order for us to follow his will. I'm going to go ahead and show you my cards right now. My whole point is that, first of all, we would define the big W, the big will of God. And I'm going to let you know what that is. God wants his people, followers of Jesus, to follow his will. The key word for that is obedience. He wants us to obey him. And in fact, that's what you want. The reason you're seeking God's will is you want to obey God in that decision so that you have God's favor so that you have God's covering, so that you're operating under the umbrella, so it's not a bad thing. The will of God's an incredibly important topic for us to talk about. But there are some downsides if we have this metaphor in our mind of the blueprint and we force God to have to answer our questions. What is your will through the lens of the blueprint? One more time, I'm reminded of the guy who believed that he wanted to be a better steward of the body God gave him, so he decided to lose weight, and he was going to cut out eating the donuts in the morning that he had been eating every day. So for three months, he went without donuts. He lost a bunch of weight. But on about the third month, near the end of that, he really, really wanted a donut. So he goes to the Lord and says, Lord, do you want me to eat a donut? And he doesn't really hear much from God. So he decides, here's how I'll know. If I drive by the donut shop, and there's a parking spot by the front door, this will be proof that God wants me to eat a donut today. So he shows up at work a few months later, a few, a few minutes later, and he has a, a box, uh, a dozen donuts. Many of them have been eaten, and somebody says to him, I thought you were trying to not eat the donuts. Ah, oh, no, listen, God made his will very clear to me. He wanted me to eat donuts. I said to him, God, if there's a spot by the door, I'll get donuts. If not, I won't get donuts. And it only took me seven times around the block until there was a spot right <laughs> See, here's the thing with God's will. We, we tend to push it in the direction we want it to go or we're fearful about the thing or we know it's weighty. So what do you do then? What do you do? How does the concept of it being a game plan as opposed, opposed to being a blueprint help us? Here's, here's the problem if it's a blueprint. Sometimes we'll get paralyzed by fear. If there's only one right choice... That can mean paralyzed decision-making. So when I taught high school juniors, primarily 11th grade, they were looking at the biggest decision for this particular group of high schoolers was, what do I do next? For all of them, typically it was, what college do I go to? And man, what a heavy decision that is because they know intuitively if I choose A, I don't do B, but by choosing A, I've closed all these other options. For many of them, it's the first major decision they have to really make. And they get stuck because they're afraid that they may choose the wrong thing. How do they know if it's the right thing? How will they really know? Those that are following God, they want God's will. But then sometimes God doesn't answer in the way that we expect. And we can get paralyzed by fear. I see this sometimes with couples. And, and it's a very important decision who you're going to spend your life with. And so there's this younger couple and they're wondering, is this the right girl? Is this the right guy? And they just kind of stay in that indecision for a while it's not that they don't care they care deeply in fact they're paralyzed by the fear and they would love for god to just literally write in the sky yes marry her but it typically doesn't happen that way does it it didn't didn't for me so let's make a few things clear here if the scriptures tell you exactly what to do then you should do it and you should do it right now but if not I think what you're left with is make the best choice you can. When it comes to understanding God's will, there's a lot that you and I already know. 
There's a lot of life under the umbrella of God's sovereignty that he's already told us what to know, what to do, and how to act. In fact, that's going to become a key concept as we move forward over the next couple of minutes. The idea of simply obeying what you already know puts you and me in a better place then to handle making the decisions for the things we don't yet know. There's something powerful about obedience in that it clears the air of all the unnecessary cloudiness so that we can manage the real cloudiness that truly deserves our attention. I keep going back to my teaching days because I would see this in the, in the life of a kid. I would make some assignment. They would have six, seven weeks to finish it. It's a project, if you will. And that last week, there would be kids on meltdown because they had waited the entire time. And now in the week of... What's happened is they've had all this delay. There are other assignments due, three or four tests that week, and the due date is still Thursday. Now, it's the problem that they didn't know. No, the problem is, is that they had all this other stuff going on. They didn't do what they should have done all along, and now in the moment, they feel the pressure times 10. This happens all the time in our decision-making and trying to determine the will of God. We have been disobedient along the way to what we already knew. And now in the moment of serious decision, and we're very aware that it's a weighty matter, we don't have the necessary margin, clarity on the things that should be clear. And now we have to bring all that extra jumbled craziness to this very weighty thing. And again, we would love for God to bring it to us through skywriting, through dropping it down, through somebody telling us, here's what the Lord wants you to do. But it doesn't typically work that way. Here's, here's something really cool, though, that I think can help us manage the fear. Is first of all, do the best you can if, if you don't have defined answers. Sometimes God tells you exactly what to do. For most of us, that's rare. I think it's happened to me in, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s, in my entire life of Christ about two times. When I had a very clear, do this, don't do this, and it required major life change. I don't know if those are the kinds of statistics and frequencies that you should be experiencing, but I know it's not every day. I doubt seriously, maybe you can challenge me on this, but just do it biblically. I doubt seriously that God really cared what color socks you wore today. There's a certain permissiveness to his will. So the first thing is, is we get paralyzed by fear in part because we know it's a big deal. We have this idea of the blueprint of a, uh, the, the metaphor of a blueprint. We're not even fully obeying what we could. But here's the good news that also helps us manage that fear is there's always a path back to obedience, even on the back end of some really, really stupid decisions. If God's will is a blueprint, the moment you get off blueprint, you're messed up. If you go too far, you're never going to get it back to the design. But if it's not a blueprint, then we have a certain amount of safety in knowing that no matter what decisions we made, correct or incorrect, obedient or disobedient, following God's will or following our own will, no matter what we did, there's always a vehicle back to obedience to God. That's part of His will. Now, His will, it's important. I'm not trying to get you to lower that. What I'm trying to get you to do is understand that God is rarely going to come to you and give you the writing in the sky on what to do about where you should live and who you should marry, whether or not you take that job or whether or not you have another kid. 
But along the path, he's given you a lot of things that you already know, a lot of, that we're not even following. And along the path, when we mess up, he always provides us a path back to obedience. This deals with that fear that comes with those weightier decisions. Here's another downside of the blueprint mentality. Sometimes it can skew our focus. I, I, I'm going out on a limb here, and I know I'm going to step on a few uh, like you know, Christian culture toes, all right? But here we go. See, I think the weightier matters in the Scriptures are things like godliness, justice, mercy, and obedience. Those are big deals to God, like huge. And God hasn't been very ambiguous about those things. He's been pretty clear. But what happens is if we think that God has a blueprint and all we have to do is discover the blueprint, much like we're hunting for Easter eggs. If you can just find the prize egg, you're okay, which means somebody gets it but somebody else doesn't then what happens is, is we take the weightier things and we make them secondary to things that aren't near as important to God. And let me just give you a, a list of those. These are just the list I made up. We could debate whether or not the items deserve to be on the list. They're just things I'm thinking about because I deal with them consistently as a pastor. Here they are. Less weighty matters. Finding a mate. One, the second most important decision you'll make in life, in my opinion, is who you're going to marry. I think God has an opinion about that. I actually think God's given us a lot of information about his opinion on that matter, and most of us ignore it, but I still don't know that he has specifically said, this is that one, and without this one, it's not the right one. Just Ben, we're going to unpack that here just a second a bit more, but here's another thing, choosing the right career, renting the right apartment, making the move. Biblically speaking, these are secondary issues and the primary issues are godliness, justice, mercy, obedience. See, what's at stake here is whether or not we're on a search to find something or become someone. Can I tell you what God's will is for you? And I can be completely certain on this. God is trying to mold you and me more into the image of Christ. That is his will for you. No matter what else is going on, he wants to use the very thing you're going through right now to mold you, what I'm going through, to mold me into the image of his son. To make us more godly, godlike, God-oriented. To grow our heart for mercy, justice. These are things that he cares deeply about. And along the way, there are decisions to make. And some of them are very important. Some of them are very important temporarily. Some of them really aren't that important at all, but they're important to us. So let me just ask you, let's just drill down on this for just a second. Is God more concerned with where we work or how we work? I think he's concerned with where we work. But I think he's more concerned with how we work. But which one do you think gets most of our attention? Is God more concerned with where we live or how we live? I think he's very concerned with where we live. But at the end of the day, I think he's more concerned, and the Bible's more clear with how we're supposed to live, no matter what our address is. This is part of unpacking this complex idea of the will of God. It's taking what he's already said and engaging that fully, and then from that fully engaged perspective, dealing with what we don't yet know. As opposed to, God dropped the answer from the sky for me, and then I'll have the blueprint in my life, which of course gives me what I really want, that sense of happiness, peace, control. And what God really wants from us 
has a life fully devoted over to him, fully obeying what he's already given us. Let me give you one more. Whom we marry or how we do marriage. I'm harping on this one on purpose. I have a pastoral concern here. More than once, I've heard somebody say to me, Ben, I think I married the wrong woman. I'm like, oh, so what? I don't mean to be insensitive. This is, by the way, why I don't make a living doing counseling. Um, <laughs> like, so what? Here's what I say to people often when I'm performing a marriage ceremony. I don't know the full will of God. I don't. I truly, I wish I did. I wish I did. I wish I could read the, 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 you know, the tea leaves for you, tell you what God. I just mixed, you know, paganism with Christianity. But anyway, you get the idea. It's a metaphor. It falls apart. I can't do that. But when I do ceremonies, wedding ceremonies, I often will say to the couple, I don't know God's full will for you, but here's what I do know. In just a moment when you say I do and you kiss and I pronounce you man and wife and we sign that document, I know that from that point on, God's will is for that person to be your wife and that person to be your husband, no matter what else may have been going on around the sides. And I have to say that so clearly because in six months, they're going to wake up and realize it's not all roses. And, 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 and like people are people and it's messy and... I don't know if you married the right person, but I know if you entered the covenant of marriage, I know exactly what God's will is for you. All things being equal, there's always an outlying example or two. I got it. But all things being equal, you're supposed to work, men, to become the man of God that God's trying to mold you into being, and he's going to use the very forces in your marriage to help you do that. He doesn't want you to look for the loophole because somehow you missed the blueprint. And so what has God said about marriage then? So can I... Can I just be a pastor for a second? So let's just think about, before I do this, let's just think about what Ben's about to do here. I'm about to tell you something from God's word that is so countercultural, some of you are going to get frustrated instantly. So why, why would I do that? Because I like to tick off people? No, not at all. I have one job on Sunday mornings, that's to proclaim God's word. I'm not responsible for your emotional response. You are. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you just have to ask a simple question. Not if Ben's correct or not, but is, it, is that God's word for me? So, so, so here's what God has said about marriage. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and other places, he says to men and women, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So like in our home, I tell my kids, here's a practical working out of that. If you date people who don't share your love for Christ, like they're believers, then don't be surprised if you've opened the door to all kinds of challenges because while I don't know who you should date, God hasn't left it completely empty for us to have to go figure it out. Now, I know people who ignored that and seem to have done just fine. So I don't know what to do with that. I know people who ignored that and they didn't do so well. I know people who obeyed that and only dated and they didn't do so well. So it's a mess all over the place, but God wasn't silent on this. So like, should I marry her? Should I not marry her? I, I don't know what to tell you, but I know that if they're not a believer, the scripture is pretty clear. You don't unequally yoke. So can God work through that? Yeah, because there's always a path back to obedience. But for the follower of Jesus trying to get clarity on God's will, you take what you already have been told in the scripture and you move it forward. And then from that forward position, you make the decision that you need to make with all the wisdom you can make it with. You can take off your seatbelts. That's all the meddling I'll do today. Let's talk about steps towards a well-executed game plan. The goal here is to be obedient to the will of God. So I'm just make a couple statements here. It's hard for an athlete to follow a game plan if he or she misses all the team meetings. He's, 
You don't know it. And so I'm talking about church. I'm talking about small group. I'm talking about environments where you have an encouraging culture of other people whose hearts are leaning towards the Lord. They're not perfect, but around them, spiritual conversation can happen. There's encouragement in the right direction. Sometimes there's challenge. If you don't ever show up for the team meetings, it's incredibly difficult to know what the game plan is. So God wants an engaged spiritual life. You want to know if you should take that job? Doing it inside, making that decision inside of the community of faith, having brothers and sisters who can talk with you, pray with you, think with you, practically work through it, makes a dramatic difference. So four big ideas here about like showing up for the meeting, all right? Number one, a well-executed game plan, I think, takes heart. This is one of those metaphors that God uses in the Bible, the idea of our heart. Now, biologically, it falls apart because our heart literally is just the pumping mechanism for our blood. That's all it is. But scripturally speaking, the heart then becomes, and this is used outside of Scripture, it's, it's a metaphor to understand the kind of seat of our will, our emotions, that place where we truly make decisions from. It connects with our logic, our brain, but it, it involves that whole person. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. If you have a major decision to make or an anticipation of the fact that we all will have major decisions to make, the first thing we can do is guard our hearts. So a soft heart to the things of God, not full of bitterness, not so busy with competing values, but a well-ordered, centered heart then becomes the place to start thinking through what should I do? What would be God's will? When the heart is out of shape, when it's not well-ordered, when it's crowded with competing values, it becomes very difficult, even if we're serious about the decision, and it's a weighty decision, it becomes very difficult to make a clear decision with any kind of confidence. So God says to us, protect your heart. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, he says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's the cool thing about this verse. If we delight in the Lord, we, we take pleasure in the things of God over time, it has a reparative, restorative, ennobling, empowering effect on our heart. And once that's completed, then we can ask away. And God takes delight in giving us those things because the heart centered on Him that takes delight in Him is the right perspective to ask these questions from any, for, for anyway. It's not God will give you what He wants. It's get your heart right. And then go to God, and God takes pleasure in giving you the desires of your heart. So a well-executed game plan, I think, takes heart. Number two, I think executing God's game plan requires a good working knowledge of the playbook. So I'm trying to stretch this metaphor as far as I can. Here I'm talking about the scriptures. The reason why I'm trying to get you to engage the scripture in small group like you're doing right here, right now. Thank you for allowing this. And in your own private time... It's because the more familiar you are with God's playbook, the Bible, the more clear you are about his character. And then again, you're in the best position then to ask the question, do we move or do we stay? So when it comes to the will of God, I think we need to think biblically. And the Bible addresses many of the things we face in this life. I've already showed you about marriage. So we're not left 
with no information, we're left with the beginning point, and then from that beginning point, we're then positioned to make a wise decision about her or not her. So we're called to kind of play by the rules here. And when we understand them, they become for us guardrails on the road. And as long as we stay in the guardrail, there's a lot of movement you can do. It requires a knowledge, but not just knowledge. Can I be clear? A lot of us grew up in church enough to know, or we were exposed culturally enough to know the rules, but we have not been walking by the rules we already know. I think it's very difficult for a young man, a young woman, to ask with clear objectivity, is this the person I should marry? When there are, as I'm going there, I said I wasn't going to meddle, I'm changing my mind. Um, I get to do that because I have a microphone. Um, I think it's very difficult to ask that when they're already connected emotionally and, and physically together. I mean, trying to make a clear decision about whether this is the right person for me to spend my life with, when your heart and your body, and the Bible says your soul is already connected together, it becomes very, very difficult to do. This is not just God's word, by the way. Sociologists tell us if you want to set your marriage up for failure, live with the person long before you actually commit to the covenant of marriage. Do your own Google searches on this. You will see that people who cohabitate before marriage actually are statistically more prone to divorce long term. Now, am I beating anybody up? No. What I'm trying to do is say God has an opinion and God's will speaks. And we already know a lot of it. We just ignore it. I'm just picking the easiest one. I could drill down on this with things like pornography, the abuse of, of you know, substances like alcohol and, and other chemicals. It's a lot that we could say about this. God's already spoken about addictive substances. So then trying to make decisions when that's clouding becomes almost impossible. So playing by the rules, knowing the rules, embracing the rules. David writes these words in Psalms that still elude me. He writes... Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And he goes on to explore the idea and he says, I love your law. I love it. I love it when you tell me don't do that. I love it when you tell me what the boundaries are. Why, why would David say that? Because he's super spiritual now, but because he had lived long enough to know that when you live by the rules that God gives his people, these are not rules for people outside the faith. Paul makes that very clear. We're not here to beat up the world. But for people who are followers of Jesus, I mean, what else are we going to do other than take God's word seriously? So, like, I'm not, I'm not talking to people who aren't following Jesus right now. You, you get to listen. I'm trying to be nice about it. But for people who claim Jesus as their Savior, this is what he tells us to do. David said, I've learned to delight in it when you tell me no. Because when you tell me no and I follow that, that puts me in perspective then to engage every other thing I need to engage with clarity and power. So we execute God's plan through a working knowledge of the playbook. Number three, we stay in step with God's game plan through regular times of prayer. So I love this one, James 1.5. This is like one of those early memory ones for me because I needed it. If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to him. You know what my favorite phrase, dependent clause in this sentences without fault he gives it without fault he doesn't come to you and say oh you need wisdom again you stupid idiot here we go i'll give you a little bit more that's not what he does 
He goes, you want wisdom? All right, no fault. Here you go. Here you go. And I don't know about you, but I come to moments in my life where I need the wisdom of God. It's hard enough trying to weed through the clouds that God's already spoken about. There are times I just need him to give me some direction or peace or freedom or whatever. And this verse tells me I can go and I don't find a judgmental attitude from my heavenly father. And Jesus tells us some of the pathway to do this, like mechanically, Matthew chapter 7, ask and it'll be given. So the key here is ask, seek and you'll find, ask and seek, knock and the door will be open, ask, seek, knock. Everyone who asks receives, who seeks, find, who, and to him who knocks, the door is going to be open. The idea here is that God is accessible. He's not trying to hide. Come to him persistently, variety, variety of ways, asking, seeking, knocking. And God wants to, over time, reveal himself to you and give you that position of powerful decision-making with clarity about what you're supposed to do. So number four, then, in terms of just getting on board, when determining God's will for our life, I think it's very powerful to seek godly advice. In fact, the fast track to knowing God's will for your life is to surround surround yourself with wise, seasoned believers of Jesus and say, what would you do if you were me? So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack, of count, for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. I don't know what you need to do in that decision you're facing, but I know for most of us, there's a lot we already know that we're not following, and that w- that's a beginning point. I know for a lot of us, we're not really showing up for the team meetings, Engaging God's word, getting more comfortable and clarity with that. Engaging prayer and wise counsel goes a long way to putting us in a position to then ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? And then I think on a lot of these issues in life, he looks at you and says, what do you want to do? You've done the homework. What's really in your heart? I take delight in giving you the desires of your heart. I've pushed, I've challenged, tried to bring clarity around this issue with the will of God. And here's where I, as a pastor, just as a follower of Jesus, if I weren't talking to you, here's what what I keep coming back to. There are already parts of his will I know right now that I'm not fully following, and that's probably a good place for me to begin. So with that in mind, when we come to next steps here in just a second, I want you to be thinking about that for you. And if it's true for you, then why don't you join me and let's do some serious business with God as we pray in just a moment. So... To get ready for all that, go ahead and grab out your Connect card. Let's take a few steps together as a congregation. So I've been talking a lot about God's will for your life. And I'm going to tell you the first thing he has for all of us is he has made it clear that it's not his will that any should perish, but that everybody would have eternal life. That's his will. And the way you do that is you begin a relationship with Jesus. Around here we call it taking next bold step A. So here's what next bold step A says. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you want a relationship with God, not based on anything you've done and not because you've earned it or deserved it, but because of His grace, here's what I ask you to do. Check next step A right there on the card. And when the offering buckets come by at the end of the service, you put the card in there and we join with you in prayer. You're not joining our church. I send you an email that talks a little bit about what that is as a way to get you started. And in a moment when we pray, I give you a chance to use your own words or borrow mine and look up to God and say, God, I'm gonna agree with what your word says. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I'd like you to cover my sin and I want you to become the leader of my life. Or how about next step B? You want to get baptized. Last week, we baptized two people. 
I've been kind of like enjoying that all week long as I've looked at pictures and stuff on Facebook. If you want to get baptized or you have questions about it, go ahead and check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by, and we'll communicate with you about that, maybe get you signed up or answer your questions. Here's next step C, the prayer I'm praying relative to what we were talking about. God, make me into who you'd have me become. I, I got some decisions to make, and I, I do. I, I mean, I, I really do. This is not like an exercise and just, you know, intellectually beating around an issue. I, like, I'm here. But before that, God, would you make me into who you'd have me become? Would you keep pressing that agenda in my life, God? Don't let, then, don't let me hide behind big decisions when, when what you're really wanting to do all along the way is just work in my heart. So check that, and together this week we'll pray. Here's next step D. We talked about it with Lisa at the beginning of the message. I'll begin planning mine and my family's giving to the My Christmas Gift offering. I'd like you to seriously think about what you can give. Um, you're going to be excited over the next few weeks as we unveil what we've done and where we're going with this. I think you're going to absolutely love it. And then how about next step E? Today, I'm taking some steps to begin moving forward in full obedience to the Lord. So all week long as I'm thinking through, like, what, what, I, what am I really praying for God to do today? My, my heart on this matter is very simple. How about, how about all of us just, like, double down on taking God's word that we already know and already have clarity on very seriously for like a week. So if like we're messing up sexually, why don't we just stop that? And if there's substance abuse, why don't we take steps to deal with that? If there are attitudes and words, why don't we just deal with that? Unforgiveness and bitterness, these are all things that God's will is perfectly clear on. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm checking this one. How about you? Taking steps beginning today towards full obedience. Let's pray some bold prayers right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you're a God of grace and that you want to be known. God, my prayer right now is that we would trade the idea of a blueprint for, for the idea of a game plan. We would discover under your umbrella of control and sovereignty, you are a dynamic God who has given us ability to make choices through the wisdom you've given us. God, I want to pray right now that we would show up for the meetings. We'd engage you fully through your word, through prayer, through wise counsel. We would obey what we already know. And then from that position of strength and clarity, we would make decisions about what we don't yet know. Lord, I want to pray right now for those people that are declaring, Jesus, be my Savior. I want you to be the leader of my life. God, I pray for those right now, my brothers and sisters who are joining me and saying, God, I repent. I repent for not following and obeying what I already knew. I ask you, God, to once again cover me with grace. I pray this all in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.